Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Ryan Truby. I'm a Schmidt Science Fellow and postdoctoral researcher at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab, where I work in the Distributed Robotics Lab led by Professor Daniel LaRousse. Mm-hmm. So I would like to ask you, what is the first robot you built and what was the feeling you had at the time? So by formal training, I'm actually not a roboticist. I actually came to the field of soft robotics by way of material science and engineering, which is the field that I pursued my PhD in uh, with Professor Jennifer Lewis at Harvard University. And before that, um, I earned a bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering. So taking sort of inspiration from biology and looking at living machines or living organisms as material systems, um, I started directing my PhD work in this area of soft robotics. And so, um, yeah, I did not come to soft robotics by way of traditional robotics background. Um, And so I think technically the first robot that I ever designed was actually a soft robot, which was a little system called the Octobot that I co-developed with my colleague, Professor Michael Boehner, who's now at UC Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. Great. So I would like to go back when you were a child. Have you ever think about robotics and what was like resonated to you? Is it creepy, interesting? If you remember something like that. I mean, as a kid, I definitely was interested in um, robotics. I I taught myself a little bit of computer programming and started teaching myself Java when I was around 14 or 15 years old. Um, My dad and my stepmom are both electrical engineers. And when I was little, my dad actually bought me a little microcontroller. And that was where I started kind of first getting inspired by robotics. Um, even though I actually didn't pursue that route. Um, and so even as a kid, I was, I was definitely interested in ro- robotics and robotics was a motivation for me to begin figuring out how I could teach myself computer science. Um, and so in a sense, it was really fun to kind of get to robotics mm-hmm. in this, this very interesting route uh, through biomedical engineering, materials engineering, and to kind of revisit these old interests I had as a kid now as a postdoc at MIT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would like to go back for soft robotics. How do you define soft robotics from your experience? And what do you think the most important question that should be considered in, in soft robotics research? Yeah, so during my PhD, probably in the middle of it, um, this kind of helps inform where I think about soft robotics and how I define it. I actually came across this dissertation that was um, from UC Berkeley, and it was written by uh, now Professor Sam Burden, who I believe is at the University of Washington. And he wrote a description of robotics that I thought really captured in a very broad but inspiring way what the field actually is. And he said something to the effect in his dissertation of um, robotics is uh, the engineering discipline concerned with programming matter to perform work, something to that extent. Mm And as a non-roboticist, really working in this field of soft robotics, I took a lot of inspiration from that line. 
And so from my current perspective, which has included, you know, my PhD work in materials engineering and now postdoc work trying to go more into the robotic side, mm -hmm. I would define soft robotics something to the extent of, you know, soft robotics is an interdisciplinary field concerned with programming deformable structures and material functionalities to perform work in the likeness of living machines. Ultimately, living machines are the perfect example of what a soft robot could be. And um, I think really the pursuit of soft robotics should be for systems that can behave and do things just like we and other living organisms can. Mm -hmm. So if I ask you what do you think the most inspiring living creature uh, and you think could be inspiring for soft robotics field in the coming years? You know, contrary to what maybe some people would expect from some of uh, the work that we've done, um, it wouldn't be an octopus. Mm -hmm. um, I think cephalopods and the octopus are incredibly inspiring organisms. But for me, and you know, especially as my background as biomedical engineer, the living organism that still continues to inspire me the most is us. Um, mm -hmm. It's humans. And I think that if you look at everything from our manipulation capabilities and what all we can do with a human hand and how difficult it's been to replicate some of these capabilities in artificial systems um, to how we perceive and our cognitive capabilities. I just think that we, uh, more than any other living organism, offer an extraordinary amount of inspiration and lessons that we still need to learn from uh, in the field of soft robotics. Mm -hmm. So what do you think what are the most misconceptions about soft robotics and something maybe concerning to you uh, when you notice the research done now in soft robotics? I think, you know, soft robotics has a lot of potential and because it has a lot of potential that comes with a little bit of hype. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, the most common misconceptions I would say about soft robotics is that we are really close to the full potential of this field. And at the end of the day, that just simply isn't true. Part of the big challenges we face in soft robotics is, you know, how do we appropriately power and control these systems? Control remains one of the big challenges for this field. Mm -hmm. And while a number of people allude to the fact that embodied computation, um, morphological computation, these types of things that we can introduce into soft robots, they aren't going to be sufficient for really helping us towards meaningful applications uh, with soft robots. So I, I think, I guess, to broadly wrap it up, just one of the most common misconceptions is we have a long way to go in this field. We have a long way to go to address um, needs in actuation, needs in power control, um, and, and really what the, the real, I think, tangible applications for soft robotic systems are. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting about the control aspect. And that's something I think also raised many times that the traditional control techniques can destroy the natural dynamics sometimes. I'm curious to ask you what do you think would be a solution can be found on? Because sometimes material, especially smart material, sometimes it's not predictable performance and sometimes the controller is not robust enough. So how do you think would be a solution um, for tackling this issue? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, this whole question is one that really inspired me to go from more of the, the materials engineering side into the robotic side. Mm -hmm. um, in soft robotic control, we can't rely solely 
on the control strategies that have been developed over the last few decades for ordinary rigid robots. It's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, with my current projects, I've been looking at ways in which we can inject a little bit of learning as a, as a way to overcome some of the challenges posed by pure model-based approaches to control. And while I think that learning techniques definitely have their place in soft robotics, it's going to be quite tough without, you know, a little bit of a hybrid approach between a little model-based control and a little, a little learning-based control as well. Um, at the same time, we do have these rich opportunities for soft robots to engage their environment, to exploit morphological computation, to, to, to begin helping us understand and, and um, bring to these systems a sense of embodied intelligence. And so I think, you know, while we're playing with these control strategies and what might work at the end of the day, what we really need to begin thinking about is how we can bring contacts and environmental engagement into these control strategies. Mm-hmm. because it's going to be an essential part of this field. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's a totally open question. There are a number of exciting you know, avenues for thinking about control, um, but it is going to require us to certainly depart from traditional robotics control theory um, mm-hmm. as we would typically approach it in a, in a rigid system. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting about modeling, and, and, and that's why I would like to ask you, since you are really doing a lot of great work in material science, do you think we fully understand the physics behind smart material. In other terms, do you think at which level we have to understand the material behavior? Because sometimes if you go from level, micro level, or you have to know each tiny details happening, and then you can understand how this material behave. I think we understand the physics of these types of soft material actuators, these multifunctional soft materials we use in soft robotics well enough to recognize that modeling them is in fact a major challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we understand the physics well enough to appreciate that we might need new strategies for creating and designing materials that can serve all the functions we need in these systems. You know, I think we're going to recognize pretty quickly that some of the stimuli responsive materials that we are working with might not be best long term. They might be great for, you know, short term demonstrations and showcasing the potential of the field. But we know enough physics about these systems to realize that we need to begin thinking about new strategies for actuation, new strategies for materials design to sensorize these sort of of material actuators. And um, I think I think we sufficiently know enough physics to know that we need we need new material solutions to really drive forward meaningful advances for the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I ask you, what do you think the biggest technological roadblocks for having fully soft robotics? Because I, I see you already uh, doing amazing work at in and that's interesting point because in the field somehow we some of the projects. Uh, they have rigid element, and that's why I don't know if you agree that soft robotics must have soft and rigid elements and if I would like to know the answer and secondly do you think that fully soft robotics is still challenging in soft uh, robotics field and what could be the roadblocks as well? Yeah um, you know when I was coming out of my PhD work I would have tried to convince you that entirely soft robots were the way to go Mm-hmm. Um, but moving into MIT and really trying to look at soft robotics from the lens of a roboticist, um, I've come to appreciate that 
soft robots aren't just these deformable continuum systems. They are also, or soft robots should also include articulated soft robots. Um, and at the end of the day, if you look at living machines and the extraordinary breadth of different organisms within the living world, we see a suite of continuum soft robots, i.e. those like cephalopods, things that don't have rigid skeletons, all the way to things like us, other mammals, that are best described as articulated soft robots. So I don't think that the field should only work on entirely soft systems. The Octobot was a wonderful project and collaboration at Harvard that I was able to be a part of and co-lead to explore what that might take. Because from a materials engineering perspective on its own, it is fascinating to think about, can we create new types of soft materials that categorically could be called robots? Mm -hmm. um, but again, coming from more the, the trying to look at this more as a roboticist and not just a materials engineer, we do have to recognize that structural compliance, you know, in cable tendon driven systems, structural compliance in articulated systems are soft as well and should also be explored. Um, and so with that in mind, I mean, the two different types of robots, these continuum deformable systems, these articulated soft systems still have big challenges that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. We still have to come up with, you know, appropriate design and materials for these systems, um, especially on the continuum soft robots. We, we need better soft actuators as I've, as I've kind of alluded to. Um, in both types of systems, we still need, I, I argue, more uh, appropriate fabrication strategies. Um, soft materials in these types of structures are readily amenable to fabrication via added manufacturing, 3D printing, other types of digital fabrication techniques. And um, I think that we have a lot of work to do to still develop interesting and, and exciting and enabling new manufacturing methods to create these types of robots. And so in addition to the materials and design, as well as the fabrication strategies, we still have to come up with appropriate control strategies for both. And the, the materials design, fabrication, and control are all key challenges that we have to work, find solutions for um, in both of these types of soft robotic systems. Mm -hmm. So do you think which level, to which level soft robotics are really intelligent? If we speak about it, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I, I do not. Intelligence in general in robotics is something I think we um, don't have robust descriptions for. I mean, one of the beautiful things about robotics, one of the, the exciting things about advances we're seeing in, in artificial intelligence is, is how much efforts in these disciplines are actually driving understanding of our own intelligence and of the intelligence of, you know, living organisms. Um, I don't think it's appropriate at this point to lay out a clear definition for what intelligence is either for ordinary robots or even soft ones. Um, because I think we just have a, uh, a lot of other things to showcase before we can actually address what that question is mm -hmm. or the answer to that question is. So maybe in other terms, do you think that, um, in how many years we expect to have intelligence in soft robotics demonstrate? Because I, I don't know, I don't know if you agree with that. If the community have to shift focus on using a smart material, um, to exhibit this kind of intelligent uh, behavior and, and also could be mobile, not really using heavy setup. How you predict this could be uh, happened in the community uh, in terms of research as well? 
Well, okay. So there, there are different, if we want to use this term intelligence, which I think is a, is kind of a fuzzy term, there are going to be different levels of so-called intelligence in a soft robotics system. Um, if we look at just robotics in general, most robots, I would argue, aren't ordinary robots, aren't super intelligent. Um, and we've been at robots in a traditional context for many decades of efforts now. And so even on the 20 to 50 year timeline, I don't know how intelligent our soft robots will actually be um, at any appreciably kind of sophisticated level. I think you can begin to think about program functionalities looking like a very simple level of intelligence, very simple level of, of maybe state switching or decision making. That certainly might be on the 20 to 50 year timeline, but I, you know, again, it's how far do you want to stretch that definition of intelligence to include those types of, of behaviors that might emerge from the types of materials you're putting into these systems. Mm -hmm. And if I ask you about optimizations of material as well, do you think how you can optimize design of smart material, depend of, of the force required and response time? Do you think this is challenging or we can't solve this issue about having the required mechanical performance and response time? Because, for example, in kind of smart materials, we still have this limitation. From your experience, how you can solve this issue? Do you think this is something easy to be solved? or it takes a lot of effort to understand how you uh, can answer this question? Sure. So, I mean, optimization of materials in robotics, uh, in soft robotics, I mean, that's, there's a lot of broad ways in which you can optimize something. It's also very system specific. So if I, if I think of smart or intelligent materials, including things like liquid crystal elastomer actuators that are an interesting new type of artificial muscle. If I think of smart materials, including things like dielectric elastomer actuar actuators, um, you know, these are going to have very different optimization challenges. In short, um, between all of these, I think you're going to really look at your materials engineers to help you optimize the overall performance. Um, you're going to have to optimize their performance generally um, and broadly through new chemistries um, and new processing methods, as well as new manufacturing strategies. Um, and that holds true for any sort of so-called smart material where, you know, you're using some functional material to achieve a robotic capability. Mm -hmm. I think if you want to turn to, you know, new types of material structures that could be used um, in soft robotics, there's a lot of fascinating work on the computational end that could also help us optimize uh, the design of these types of materials. For example, there are a number of interesting mechanical metamaterials out there that could be utilized uh, for soft robotic applications, but designing those um, to begin with is also quite difficult. You kind of have to go about this in a trial by error or Edisonian fashion. And so optimi optimization from a computational sense will definitely play a role in those types of structures. Again, at the end of the day, this is all about materials design and also about fabrication. And so any level of computational optimization that can plug into the, the manufacturing and fabrication pipeline is also going to be uh, required. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you think the current challenges do you think you want to solve and maybe upcoming projects you involved on as well? These are challenges that I want to solve or that the field should solve? You, firstly, and maybe the field later? 
Sure. So my my challenges that I'm really trying to address right now are related to this big challenge of, of soft robotic control. One of the things that I hope to do is create control strategies for soft robots that really use feedback from integrated soft material sensors that are embedded within the soft robot itself. There's been a number of exciting ways in which people have controlled these, you know, highly deformable soft robots by way of vision, but nature tells us that having some level of embedded proprioception and touch is going to be critical for that. Um, and so speaking to kind of the, the control challenge, you know, I'm trying to create new types of soft sensorized robots where we're not just having actuatable structures, but structures that have integrated soft sensors. Um, we're not using off the shelf or um, any sort of rigid sensor here. These are all based on different types of soft materials. Um, I've been working with a number of different types of ionogels, different types of piezoresistive composites, capacitive sensors, and more. Um, and designing new types of deep learning strategies to essentially learn as a start um, configuration from the sort of proprioceptive uh, feedback, if you will, that we can get from these embedded sensors. And so in this work, I've been kind of trying to look at how deep learning could help us uh, towards control of very compliant, highly deformable elephant trunk inspired arms. Um, I've been looking at manipulation and control um, using these printed soft robotic actuators that I've developed with um, all different types of touch, proprioceptive and temperature sensing capabilities. Um, and while I'm at MIT, that's sort of where my domain of, of interest is, is going to be is how can we not only create sensorized soft robots, how do we use deep learning as a way to extract useful information for control and, and how can we use this entire now system and framework towards the control of these systems. Uh, moving forward, I, you know, I keep coming back to, we have to come up with better materials, better fabrication strategies and better control strategies um, for this field. And so as I plan to kind of start my own independent career, um, those are really the three thrusts uh, on which I wanna begin um, really tackling some of the challenges. Those are of course, then the three challenges that I think the field really needs to continue addressing. I think we have to come up with better materials for actuation or, or better actuation strategies for this field. Most of our actuation strategies in soft robotics um, are not very efficient from an energetics point of view. Most of our actuators have very poor power densities, things that you know we have to address if we want to see really meaningful applications from soft robotics. Um, we have to address how do we do this in a way that, uh, you know, Control strategies are pulling useful feedback from embedded sensors. We are, I think, as a field, just coming around to the fact that we need to co-design soft robots, not just actuate in the right way, but also to have embedded sensors that you know, can provide that feedback for more advanced controllers. Um, and again, all the while, I think we, gotta have, we have to continue advancing new fabrication methods as well. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. First of all, I would like to ask you about the meaningful application, because I think depend on the project um, and how the, the idea is formulated behind it. So, for example, if it's technology-driven or product-driven, so to which is when you think that we have to do it? It's like we have to design a technology for soft robotics based on the meaningful application. If you can elaborate more on this point, because sometimes you see a project, but you didn't find a real application for this kind of uh, project. 
So do you agree with this kind of approaches in academia, for example? I think academia and say a startup or a company have very different objectives. At the same time, you know, the Octobot, for example, is in a sense, a really academic sort of project. You know, we were asking mm -hmm. a big idea with or a big question from this project, which was, how would you create an entirely soft, soft robot that could operate in an untethered fashion? You know, we're trying to address kind of a technological uh, question, which is how do you get rid of the hardware that, you know, is really complicated the, the application space for soft robotics, but we didn't have a clear application in mind. And in academia, that is perfectly fine. And I think very, very much warranted. Something like that would be very difficult to pursue in a, in a commercial type or industrial context. Um, I think to take a line, I think from Professor Robert Wood, who he said this a couple of times, and I really like the term, we're still in the alchemy phase of soft robotics, where we're still trying to see what works, what we can put together and, and enable. And through this kind of exploration, the alchemy of, of making these systems, trying to identify what their real potential is. And so what soft robots are going to be great for is still, I think, a really important question to address. I think we don't do a good enough job as a field of recognizing what maybe the real strengths of uh, soft systems are. You're never going to design a soft robot that's, you know, relatively going to outpace a traditional rigid one for certain applications. There's always going to be a need for traditional rigid robots. Um, but there are going to be opportunities with soft robotics to push forward applications where a traditional rigid robot isn't going to be, you know, effective. I think the field overall relatively recognizes that. Um, for me and my personal interests, I want to see soft robots get to a point where we can create new types of, of systems that broadly help us better take care of ourselves, broadly take help us better take care of each other and overall our planet. And in order to do that, you've got to think about ways of creating robots um, that are more adaptive, that are more resilient, that can go out into harsh environments and operate robustly and reliably. And, you know, uh, designing soft robots um, and not rigid ones are gonna be the key to addressing uh, applications in those types of, of areas. Mm -hmm. I'm curious also about designing because I think you highlight something about designing. Do you think to which extent designing could really affect on the performance of soft robotics? It could make failure for the mechanism because you have a smart material with certain dimensions and you don't know how could be the, would be the motion, for example, undulation or bending or example of that. So how you get the inspiration to make sure that design recipe is going to fulfill your expectation in the project? Is something you think about it or you think is not really important uh, to be considered at the beginning of the designing of robotics? Well, as I think I mentioned in a, in a previous answer, I mean, one of the, the ways to optimize is through computational design tools. Um, and sort of coming to your question, figuring out ways in which computational optimization or computationally design, guided design could inject itself into the design and fabrication area of, of soft robotics, I think is absolutely key to helping us make meaningful strides uh, for the field. You know, a lot of what we do in soft robotics is again designed in kind of an Edisonian and you know trial by error type of fashion. Um, having some computational tool that can help us solve design challenges very early on, I think in all these areas of design, fabrication, and control are going to be absolutely essential. 
And so if I had to, you know, pivot or, or redirect my postdoc work in any way or any, any research project in any way, I wish one of the one things that I could have pulled a little bit into kind of my research program would be computational design tools. Mm-hmm. One of the nice things as a materials engineer who doesn't necessarily think about these things coming in as a postdoc at MIT CSAIL is that there are tons of people who are working at this space. And it's fascinating to see, you know, people develop these computational tools that have so much potential for improving the, the design of these systems, but still require um, appropriate fabrication techniques to actually make, you know, the, the soft robots that, that uh, these researchers are able to make, you know, just in simulation or on their computers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if we want to advance design, we certainly as a field need new computational tools to, to help us do just that. Mm-hmm. And do you think that simulation can really efficient in predicting the kind of behavior we're expecting or still we have limitation? It's computationally quite challenging to still model these types of materials we're interested in. Mm-hmm. But um, with that challenge in mind, I think we are making appropriate strides in the right direction. And I think that if we take any lessons from the advances we've seen in computation, this challenge is going to become far more reduced in the coming years. And so I, I think it's going to be absolutely imperative, you know, especially in the context of control, to rely on computational tools, simulations, you know, these types of tools to help us design, fabricate, and ultimately control these systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. But I think the point, next point about a challenging of speaking different languages, for example, material science, control expert, electrical engineering. And that's issue really we have in soft robotics community. And it leads that sometimes we don't understand certain um, terms about material science. How you would see these challenges? And do you think that it's, we can overcome the challenges um, in, uh, in a way or another? But realistically speaking, there is uh, a problem here. How do how you think that could be solved? Do you have an idea about that? Yeah, it's a phenomenal question and one that um, speaks a lot to how I have felt in my research path of jumping between disciplines. Um, I'm very fortunate to be funded by and supported by an organization called the Schmidt Science Fellows. And this is actually an organization that specifically aims to train a new generation of scientists that can think in an interdisciplinary manner, that can equip themselves with tools and insights from multiple disciplines to ultimately frame and therefore address big global challenges. And so a lot of the lessons I've learned through um, my fellowship program actually I think could apply to how we address these key challenges in communicating uh, amongst different disciplines in soft robotics. Um, you know, first and foremost, I think before we can even begin addressing the challenges we have, I think it's fair to say that we don't even do a, maybe as a field a good enough job at even communicating with different disciplines. Um, again, one of the exciting things about soft robotics is it is pulling people from so many different disciplines, but we still have these disciplinary bubbles that we are still sharing our findings in. As I moved from the material side of things in the robotics, I was blown away by just how much I, you know, hadn't really even picked up on that had been coming from the robotics community that, you know, we were totally unaware of, at least in sort of my my research circles. Um, and it would be great, for example, for us to somehow tear those kind of those boundaries down to get out, ourselves out of the bubble and more within the bubble of the overall community. 
I think that there have been some interesting ways in which we're doing better at this. Um, you know, publishing in, in different interdisciplinary publications has been obviously key. Um, I would encourage people who want to work in soft robotics to not just attend conferences in your discipline. Mm -hmm. I got to go to my first IEEE robotics conference last April, and it was a truly awesome opportunity for me. I learned something in every single seminar uh, talk mm -hmm. that or symposium talk that, you know, I wish I had done something like that and not just gone to, for example, MRS conferences. And so finding ways in which we can encourage researchers, especially young researchers, to jump into different conferences outside of their immediate discipline or encouraging efforts like we just had a Gordon Research Conference on robotics that brought a lot of different disciplinary folks into the room. Efforts like these, I think, are going to be really important. Mm -hmm. um, because, as I say, it's still really easy to showcase the, the, the disciplinary aspects of your contribution to soft robotics. But finding mechanisms like conferences or new publications or just even attendance at different conferences, I think, is the first step we need to take to, to really helping the different disciplines talk to one another um, in this field. That's a good advice. Yeah, I agree with you. So if I ask you about the progress of soft robotics um, in the coming five years, for example, in the short term and long term, how you would see this progress? I think what I would like to see in soft robotics is us, and you've, you've, this is certainly popping up, but a lot of, I would like to see some more effort put into creating new types of actuators, uh, specifically actuators that are based on new types of materials. There are a number of awesome efforts coming in on the space. Just in the last three years, we've seen a number of exciting examples of new material-based uh, contractile artificial muscles. So not just things that are bending or swelling, but um, are really addressing a key need in contractile actuation. Um, obviously, I would like to see more progress in ways in which we can uh, think about sensorizing soft robots. Um, we are, I think, as a field, just coming around to creating interesting tools and strategies for how to integrate um, appropriate tactile sensing and proprioceptive sensing capabilities directly into the bodies of these systems. Um, and I do hope that we also come up with better strategies for, for powering these systems. Um, power in these systems is going to be tricky. How do we get rid of some of the pumps and, and come up with, with other strategies? How do we, you know, maybe move away a bit from, from heat as a stimulus for actuation? Um, it's going to be tough, but I think addressing power as well, along with the actuation controller are, are all going to be areas where we need to push to see meaningful progress in the field in the next five years. Yeah, and coming up to the ethics and regulation for soft robotics, because we see some materials are toxic, for example, any conductive volumer, still toxic, uh, if we have any liquid, for example. So sure. how, how do you think this kind of ethics and regulation manifested in our research? Do you think it's taken seriously? But we still we have to do a lot of work to make sure that the work meeting the standard of um, helping an industry human being or how do you see this kind of regulation? Do you think we still have to add a regulation for the field? How do you think about this point? I mean, I think ethics and ethical thinking are an obligation of any researcher. I mean, you have to be aware of what your decisions uh, might pose for you know, stakeholders within the research community and, and broader society. Um, I don't think we can let ethics on the upstream, though, really 
block us from exploring these types of things. Um, you know, for example, you bring up ionic liquids, which I've worked with a lot. Yes, there are some toxicity concerns, but those toxicity concerns might not play a huge role depending on the application of your actual system. And in short, I think that, you know, that is one of the nice things about academia is as long as we keep these ethical considerations in mind and are honest and true to them and raise them, um, I think it's fair to continue working in the ways that we do. We're still, again, in this alchemy phase where we're trying to see what is possible, what isn't possible, and you can't address the real ethical concerns or put up regulations until you kind of know what is possible. Again, that's a, you know, you got to be careful with this, but um, I think we're still in the, again, this alchemy phase enough that we still need to play a little bit. We need to bear these these ethical considerations in mind um, and obviously dis discuss them when we begin to see the real potential of, of certain research avenues being taken. Mm -hmm. Again, one of the, the things that I think could help in terms of, of the the uh, diversity and the barriers of communication in the space is for us to all talk about, you know, the ethical challenges that we face in the disciplinary, disciplinary, you know, way. Um, working in a robotics, you know, lab, I would have never thought about thinking of the, the, the mm -hmm. issues of a soft robot potentially displacing a human worker. Um, you know, at the same time, I always thought about toxicity in a materials lab, but my robotics colleagues don't even think about it really. So really understanding ethical challenges should be something that um, could be something that we should, as a practice, begin installing in, in conferences where we can come together and, you know, inject how from our different disciplinary perspectives, we need to be thinking about the general ethical considerations of our work. Great. So the, the question also is just to context, how we ensure that soft robotics or robotics in general will be beneficial to humanity as a whole. When we do the project and, and get funding for certain projects, how we make sure the journey or the project of PhD or any research is going to be beneficial? Do you, do you think that something, how we, how we think about this when we start a project in soft robotics or robotics in general? I think most people who, from my experience, who want to work in this space um, intrinsically want what they are creating to serve uh, benefits to society. Mm -hmm. Most people aren't getting into engineering or any discipline close to engineering uh, disciplines to do something that isn't going to benefit society. Um, I think that, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of science to do to kind of figure out what is and isn't going to work in this space. We're still, we're still tinkering in a sense with, with what is possible. But um, one way to ensure, you know, that we are working in the right direction so that we see meaningful benefits is um, to maybe start thinking about meaningful specific applications to start targeting instead of just broadly saying, well, it could be used for these things, which is absolutely essential to, to do the work. Maybe start honing our message a bit to saying for this particular item. I think the wearable space does this quite nicely. There's a lot of ways in which a wearable robot is obviously going to provide benefit to society. Um, I think if we can start thinking about specific targeted applications with respect to soft robots helping in agricultural work, soft robots helping in environmental and ecological stewardship type work, and spaces you know that are obviously going to serve important roles in how we you know take care of ourselves and the planet, we will intrinsically work on a way to ensure that there will be a benefit from the types of technologies uh, that we are creating. Mm -hmm. 
And, and do you think that human, maybe and robotics or soft robotics can get along in the future? Do you think there would be competition or cooperative? How you would imagine this scenario, if, for example, if soft robotics is going to be deployed in agriculture, for example? I, I, in soft robotics in particular, you have an avenue now to think about real meaningful ways of thinking about how robots and, and humans can collaborate and coexist along one another in a way that you wouldn't have maybe had with traditional rigid robots alone. And so, I mean, soft robotics is definitely an avenue to really exciting opportunities for, for thinking about inter- innovations, but also relationships at the human-robot interface. Mm-hmm. So do you think how we can engage in our public in, in soft robotics, for example? Um, I think soft robotics is has still a little bit to, to demonstrate and to, to prove, um, to really garner more, uh, how would you say, broader sort of societal interest. I mean, I think there's still a lot of hype in the field, which is great. It means that there's a lot of potential. Um, and so soft robotics, on one hand, has a lot to do, I think, to, to meaningfully excite society and get people really behind the field. In my own experience, soft robotics is a wonderful way to inspire people to think about interdisciplinary research projects. And you know, even at the sort of outreach level and thinking about kids and young adults who are trying to figure out what they want to do, I've seen soft robotics be a really interesting gateway to get kids interested um, in science, in new technologies, and, and giving them something a little bit more fresh than, you know, a typical STEM kit or, you know, typical things you would see in an outreach activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I think there are some short-term, you know, things where, where soft robotics is going to inspire society, uh, specifically at, at the kid level. And, um, you know, longer term, if we do, you know, showcase a little bit more of the, the meaningful potential of the field, we'll, I think will easily captivate interest from, from broader society. Mm-hmm. And do you think you are worried about social inequality because of the advanced robotics or soft robotics? Is something worrying to you when you're developing your research? Is this something worrying to you? There's always going to be a need for a person to work alongside and to guide the system, the robot. So even though soft robotics might help, for example, in the area of agriculture, it's not going to help so much, in my opinion, or perspective, that the human is completely removed out of the loop, um, out of the process of, of helping you know, do that job. Um, I think that, again, soft robotics are a unique way to think about ways in which people and robots can work together. And so if anything, I would think that with soft robotics, we would see way more benefits towards for for people in terms of how they interact and use with robots than potential disadvantages or or inequalities that might emerge from it. I mean, there really is a lot of, you know, it's still quite abstract and still quite vague, but a lot of opportunities by which we can create very meaningful opportunities for for robots Mm -hmm. to help augment, improve um, general livelihood and well-being of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would like to ask you about ego. Do you think ego is important for the researcher? Is ego important for a researcher? Yes. I don't think 
ego is particularly important for a researcher. I think it's important to be confident and maybe people kind of confuse confidence with ego. I mean, a lot of research requires us to venture into the totally unknown. And I don't think ego serves you well, but certainly confidence does. And having a, a healthy dose of confidence and amount of, of confidence is going to help you chart kind of unknown territory and, and drive forward these meaningful advances um, that we hope to see in the field. Um, so yeah, in short, I don't think ego is important, but uh, certainly confidence and um, especially if you're responsible for leading a team, confidence in your team and their abilities is, is especially important. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the most important qualities for the researcher or PhD student? Yeah, so I think getting a PhD, doing any level of graduate research is incredibly challenging. It's 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 a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I try to tell students or people thinking about it is if you want to be successful in your PhD research, you have to be resilient. You have to figure out how to be resilient in a healthy way and to not take failures, which are inevitable throughout most part of your research, not take those failures as um, something personal, not um, something that suggests something about you or how hard you work or how smart you are. Um, resiliency is really key in doing any level of research. I think graduate students who are the most successful are those that exhibit some level of adaptability You know, if you aim for just kind of one hole in one research project, you might be setting yourself up for some disappointment and hardship. But if you can be adaptable with your story and how you shape the trajectory you want to pursue, um, I think that helps you overall in the long run be a bit more successful. And I also think the most successful graduate students, researchers are those that don't they aren't afraid of venturing outside their comfort zones. And that's, I think, especially important in a field like soft robotics, where you do have multiple disciplines coming together to try to, to do something new. Um, I definitely could take that last piece of advice more to heart because um, it always was tough for me to get out of my comfort zone. But oftentimes when you get out of it, you recognize pretty quickly that it wasn't that bad after all. Um, and so I think resiliency, adaptability, you know, fearlessness in terms of comfort zone are all important. Um, and all PhD students should also find ways to celebrate every little victory and success along the way because it's important. That's beautiful advice. And what do you think you wish for humanity in the next 100 years? <laughs> oh, I hope for humanity we learn uh, to learn to like and love and better take care of one another. I mean, the whole reason I'm kind of in this space is, um, as I said earlier, I think robots are kind of an um, an You know, for a long time, I think robots were kind of viewed as toys, but as advances in computation and AI have really come to fruition, we've seen robots as kind of indispensable um, to modern society and our modern world. Um, and if we could take soft robotics in a direction that would help robots come out into the real world, help us better take care of ourselves, each other, and the planet, and through those lessons, we also figure out how to just do that on our own, uh, that would be kind of my general hope for humanity in the next hundred years. Yeah, my final question, what is the best advice was given to you, was it personally, professionally, and you would like to share with us? There, I have no idea who told me this, but there's actually a line that always kind of sticks with me mm-hmm. that I picked up as a piece of advice during my PhD. Um, and the advice went something like, there are two ways to receive something in life. Of course, you can take to receive, but you can also receive by giving. 
And oftentimes what I've found is the more you can give rather than take, the more you'll actually receive. And that was a piece of advice that has really been important to me, has always rang true. And um, is one that I think we as researchers and we as scientists and academics should keep in mind as much as we can, because whether or not we're a team leader or a team member, whether or not we are an advisee or a mentor, um, a collaborator, a colleague, the more you can give in your relationships, in your collaborations, in your interactions with people, rather than take, you'll ultimately find that you'll receive far more from the experience or the opportunity you've been a part of. So deep. So final words of the Baltic community, if you'd like to say final words. I hope the soft robotics community um, stays at it. I hope the soft robotics community um, finds ways to, you know, keep a little bit of the hype for the field alive, but also finds ways to make meaningful and important strides to really helping see this field um, owe up to all the potential it has. Um, I think the soft robotics community, you know, I mentioned earlier, especially to the young researchers in the field, find a way, even as a PhD scholar or researcher, even for young professors, find a way to engage a different discipline within the community because it's very eye-opening, um, even if you think it won't be. Um, really try to reach out to people outside of your disciplinary bubble. And if we can do those things, I think there's an extraordinary amount of potential for this field. Thanks so much for this interesting discussion. And on behalf of IEEE Soft Robotics, I would like to thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.